What's cracking, you nuts? Welcome to Memoirs of a Broken Brain, the show by a broken person for broken people who want to learn certain things to help them get unbroken. My name is Randy, and I have a fun one for you today. Today, I had the absolute honor to sit down and talk with Anderson Silver. Anderson is a Stoic philosopher, the author of Your User's Manual and Your Duality Within, both books from his series Stoicism for a Better Life as well as the host of the podcast entitled Stoicism for a Better Life. Today we talked about what Stoicism is and how we can apply its principles to our own lives to help us get through some of the mucky muck that we might face, not only in these times, but anytime. These aren't new concepts, but they are so relevant for today. I know this conversation helped me a lot. It helped open my eyes to, to some things that I can start applying to my life immediately. So we cover the spirit, soul, tomatoes, and how to be a little less anxious in our day-to-day lives. So sit down, relax, and find out how all these come together in this conversation with Anderson Silver. to be on um, uh, so many podcasts. I have the time now because I'm at home. Oh, so yeah. The past two months, um, what I've been doing is on top of, I'm, I'm working on my third book right now. Um, I take the time. I try to do a couple of these per week where I just go and uh, chat with people. Uh, there's such an appetite out there uh, to um, pursue wisdom. And uh, everyone, you know, we all come from different walks of life. We all got different backgrounds, different stories, different things make sense to us. Yet we can all connect over the same existential questions, even if we don't come to the same answers. And here's the awesome thing about these topics is there are no right answers, right? It's the discussion (laughs) itself. Exactly. Exactly. That's uh, enlightening. So I think I have, I had mentioned before, a very, very limited knowledge on stoic philosophy um so i'm just going to ask the first logical question uh what is stoic philosophy okay so i'll I'll give a little history lesson uh as well yes please. Uh, so let's go back you know ten thousand years ago we have the agricultural revolution we start uh, actually uh we start walking around and hunting and gathering and start growing our own food uh, and then after you know we perfect certain crops we are actually so efficient at growing food um about you know five thousand years ago going back to the epic of gilgamesh we actually have people that have time Mm-hmm. Uh, on their hands that don't have to work to make food for the first time in the history of our species. <laughs> and uh, some of these people turn into, you know, uh, uh, governance uh, functions. Uh, some turn into uh, whatever, uh, traders. Uh, some of them turn to uh, philosophy and start asking the questions, look up at the sky and say, all right, this is cool. Now, what are we doing here anyways? And <laughs> so in ancient Greece, this little known guy named Socrates uh, completely changes philosophy. And uh, in the post-Socratic era, there's this boom of philosophical thought. Uh, 
And philosophy back then was, um, you know, and, and you know, the purpose of the history lesson here is philosophy literally was how to live life. It was the guide to living life. Today we associate philosophy with the, with the academic, like nitty gritty, you know, like, you know, uh, elbow patches, glass. Okay, let's sit down <laughs> yeah. and talk about these things while we smoke our pipes. Um, but no, back then it was literally uh, a guide to living life. Uh, Christianity then took over and philosophy kind of became um, secondary. Uh, and then with the Enlightenment uh, led by Rene Descartes, and, and the gang, um, about 400 years ago, things started picking up again. And um, today, Stoicism itself finds a resurgence um, because we've kind of come full circle. Religion has kind of fallen in, you know, uh, science, religion, don't, don't need to get into that, but right. people are looking for some uh, pragmatic, agnostic answers. And, our, and some people, uh, myself, are finding these answers in Stoicism. So um, after Socrates, there were four major religions in ancient Greece, the four Hellenic uh, philosophies, excuse me. And they were cynicism, uh, skepticism, uh, uh, Stoicism, and Epicureanism. Um, before, you know, right around uh, Christianity came about, Stoicism was the predominant philosophy. Uh, which is why, actually, interestingly, you see a lot of Stoic uh, teachings in Christianity. Sure. Because the guys who wrote the books, like St. Augustine, he was a Stoic. He was Augustine of Hippo. And he, as he was writing the Christian doctrine, he was like, well, this stuff's still pretty applicable. So let's put this in here, too, in terms of life lessons. And uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius, one of the most uh, famous Stoics, uh, he was the last great emperor of Rome. Uh, he was a philosopher himself. Um, this is around, you know, he died around 180, uh, BC, BCE, excuse me. And, um, after his, uh, death, uh, his son took over Commodus, who was notoriously one of the worst emperors of Rome. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was that transition of, uh, you know, the empire wanted to decline for a hundred years or so the next century. That's when the populace looked for a different way of living and got into Christianity more. And that's how Stoicism kind of disappeared. Fast forward to 50 years ago, uh, a couple of really genius uh, psychologists create cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. CBT, based entirely on Stoicism in the 70s. And this is where it's refound its resurgence in the modern times. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that drew me uh, to stoicism and even having this conversation is the concept of letting go or understanding rather what is within my control and what is on the outside and what things I can't control right and I and I'm sure that this is just a very small piece of a very large puzzle that is stoicism uh, but I am actually a recovering addict myself and one of the things that we really try to focus on is letting go of what's outside of my control. And so that's one of the things that really, really drew me to, to this concept because it's something I have to practice every day. I mean, even in the world as we see it now, it's very easy for me, as I'm sure it's easy for many others, to personalize and bear not only the weight, but the responsibility of facets of this current state of the world that I have absolutely zero control over. And it as someone who suffers from episodic depression and anxiety disorders, it, it's, it can be debilitating sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in my books, there's a lot of talk of anxiety and depression. Um, it's incidentally, actually, my book is ranked number one on Amazon for anxiety-free life. My books are specific uh, on dealing with anxiety and depression. And I talk uh, a lot about this pessimism we have within us, right? Depression, anxiety, all this stuff. And in my second book, um, uh, I delve into anthropologically why this exists within us, Mm -hmm. uh, why it's okay and normal and we're not broken for being this way uh it's easier to deal with it when we understand that this is not like some uh you know dark passenger inside of us it just is a part of our evolution okay and some people it's triggered more than others but it's a challenge that we all face uh to varying degrees and it is possible to deal with um, using, uh, in, you know, in my case, uh, Stoic doctrine. So you, you spoke about one of the key uh, axioms of Stoicism. It's focusing on uh, that which is in my domain of control and that which is not dependent on me. And the body, okay, is part of the externals. So uh, in philosophy, in general, we have this um, dichotomy of um, uh, this duality within uh, it's a debate that doesn't have any right answers, but most people agree that there's two parts to us. Right. There is the animal primitive side, and there is the uh, rational higher function. Okay, uh, and as Stoic, we focus on um, you know one of our starting points is social animals with a capacity for reason, and uh, uh, as social animals, you know we're pack animals. We are hairless bipedal monkeys uh, that come with its own um, defense mechanisms and uh, survival mechanisms, which are emotions. Okay. Uh, but then we have this capacity for reason, which is that second side of us. Okay. And that side, that higher level, that something more, whether you want to call it your spirit, your soul, your consciousness, whatever you want to call it, this something more is what we try and focus on. And the ultimate goal of Stoicism, if we boil it down to one sentence, would be to try and tap into that mind Mm -hmm. as often as possible in the present moment. Because uh, much like we focus on that higher faculty, that second, that rational, intelligent, logical mind, we also focus on the present because the past is memories, the future is fears and hopes, Uh, the present is the only time we're actually living, it's our eternal existence is always in the present. And so, uh, and I'm sure uh, you practice this in in your recovery and daily challenges, you try to focus your energies on what you can control, that side of you, you know, no one can get inside your squishy bits and make you do something you don't want to. Right. There's no one going in there and pulling levers, yeah. but the body will scream and kick and uh, man, the body will try and make you do really bad things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's that it's that battle that that battle that we have inside the uh, dichotomy, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So especially in a time like now where we're essentially in this pressure cooker while having to be forced into this physical isolation. Um, mm-hmm. How would someone like me, for instance, I caught some news that, um, you know, COVID is a lot closer to not only my business, but my personal life as well than we had originally uh, seen moving forward. And of course, my head immediately goes to, uh, well, I'm going to get COVID and myself and my whole family is going to die. And that is the reality that my brain wants to paint for me, which doesn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, as I'm sitting talking to you, I'm perfectly healthy. My family is perfectly healthy. 
but I have a really hard time living in that reality sometimes. And I tend to, um, you know, I call it future tripping and, and I start, yes. I start really being worried about things that quite frankly don't exist. Um, right. how, how would, how would, let's say someone like you or someone who wants to apply some of these uh, principles of stoicism do uh, apply them in situations like this? Uh, by the way, I love it. Future tripping. I, ha I, haven't, I haven't heard it said that way, but I love that expression. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we talk about this a lot. You know, uh, we, we live in fear over things that are 99.9% .9 of the time not going to happen. <laughs> it's it's true yeah, um absolutely and and you know uh, you might have heard uh, some stoic quotes that say hope is just as dangerous as fear because hope and fear are anxieties about the future it's about uh trying to expect an outcome that's convenient for us or inconvenient for us we don't know what's going to happen, man. We don't, you know, we might get crushed by uh, a, a, a meteor before this conversation exactly. is over. Okay. That is the reality of it. And um, so how do you deal with it today with everything that's happening? Um, you know, that's the beauty of a lot. There's a reason why we're talking about things that are two and a half thousand years old. You don't deal with it any differently today than I, you know, I would have uh, uh, six months ago or a few years ago. Um, my job remains the same no matter what's happening around me, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, my job always remained to be the best gosh darn human being I can be in this present moment right now, because it's the only thing in my control. And, uh, in my, my third book, um, so we were talking about the duality within my second book is your duality is called your duality within very uh, nice uh, unimaginative title <laughs> and the third one uh also unimaginative uh is called your dichotomy of control what you can control and what you can't control and the whole story is behind uh you know uh, the subtitle is take control of your world and live an anxiety-free happy life we want to control things and we should control things. This is one of the reasons why Stoicism speaks to me. I'm not a monastic guy that's going to, you know, sell my possessions, grab a robe and just go off into the woods and, you know, uh, nor am I going to be completely nihilistic and wear bunny slippers and walk around all day moping. You know, I'm here. Yeah, I'm going to die. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're, we're cosmic stardust floating through the universe and ultimately our lives are meaningless. Okay, cool. But I'm here. I yep, should do something. Exactly. <laughs> and, and this is where stoicism speaks to me. And I think to a lot of people uh, and, and a lot of people that I mentor, because I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one and group mentoring. And I think a lot of people find comfort in the, uh, how do I, how do I put it? it, it it's, it's so just real and down to earth. It's almost freeing. And, and when you reduce your job down to the present moment, which really is the only thing we can control. Uh, it, it, takes a huge load off of your shoulders. Right? I mean, yeah, anything could happen. Yeah, tomorrow, yeah. who knows? COVID can come sweeping through the house. I'll deal with it then if it happens because I'm going to have to. Yep. But it's not happening now. Um, so that's the attitude. That's the mental attitude. Easier said than done. This is not like a mathematical formula. You <laughs> apply once and then it's done for life. It's a continuous practice. Um, but it really is that simple. There's no kind of magic science behind this. There's no, this is not armchair philosophy. Uh, one does not practice stoicism by, uh, quoting, you know, blah, 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 blah said 2000 years ago, you know, art thou, art, art thou. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's about just doing this very simple task of tapping in 
to our rational mind, regardless of what the body's screaming, which is part of the externals, regardless of what the external world is doing, which is in complete chaos, depending on where you live, and uh, regardless of what the results of your efforts are, because results also are out of our control. Yep. Only our efforts are in our control. So it's a very simplistic view, but man, is it complicated and hard to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even I make it a point as a daily practice to incorporate some form of meditation. And there are a couple of reasons that I do this uh, and a couple ways in which I do this. Uh, I do them differently for whatever desired outcome I'm looking for. Uh, but when I'm meditating to remain completely in the present, mm -hmm. like you said, everything else just melts away. It just melts away. I don't have to carry the burdens of a plane of existence that isn't real. You know, I, I don't have to yeah. do that. And I think that the more that we, and by we, I mean myself and anybody who's listening who might be carrying some weight that they don't have to carry at this moment, uh, the more that we can stay present, like you said, I, it, it really is an instant happiness. And another thing that I really loved what you said is that you are teaching this to people. You are doing one-on-one -on -one in group, group setting. Uh, also, as a foundational element of my recovery is being of service. And the more mm -hmm. that I'm of service and I can show people and teach people what has worked for me, what hasn't worked for me, the more I'm reinforcing those principles in myself. And it's, again, the more in the present I can be, you know, um, uh, before we ended up getting together and starting this conversation, I was dealing with uh, a lot of different anxieties, some of which I mentioned others having to do with work, you know, the normal nine to five stuff. But as soon as you said right now in this moment, none of that matters, you know, uh, now I feel good. You know, now I'm, I'm here. I'm here with you, Anderson. I'm here now. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, was there any, any mention of meditative practices, even back with these ancient stoic philosophers as well? Uh, the, the act of mindfulness and regaining complete and total presence. Uh, obviously that's, that's an ancient concept. Uh, but it sounds like something that really aligns with the principles that you were just mentioning. Right. So uh, the question, one of the questions I get asked a lot, which um, you'll probably ask later on in the episode is what can we do to be stoic? <laughs> and the first thing, the very first thing I always mention is meditation. Number one, um, it is, um, and uh, again, let's clarify some nomenclature. Um, when we say meditation, the first thing we think of in today's world is, you know, your Buddhist Zen, close your yep. eyes, um, type of meditation. That's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> right. Originally. And I recommend, I highly recommend it. It's awesome. If you can meditate personally, before I started my journey, uh, at the beginning of my journey, rather I tried meditating, forget it. I, I couldn't shut my brain on. I'm like, this is not real. They're lying. People are lying. It's like, People walk around in yoga pants and say they do yoga. It's the same thing. No one's meditating. They just oh, say they're meditating. I understand um, that so much. <laughs> um, but no, it, it can be done. It can be done, but it's very difficult. Now, I only got there to my Zen uh, capacity to meditate in a Zenful way uh, through my Stoic meditation. So in Stoicism, when we say I'm meditating, uh, it means we're journaling. Okay, A journal is the uh, most powerful tool we can have. 
And uh, I'm sure you'll, you've used this in your uh, recovery as well. It's a very common tool. Uh, and I'll tell you why it's important for Stoics because, uh, again, let's go back to our core uh, axiom here. We want to tap into that rational mind. Okay, so when we journal, we call that checking in with ourselves. Yep. Um, it's uh, when you take a pen and you put it down to paper, it's almost impossible to write without triggering that intelligent mind. Okay, you can type on a keyboard, muscle memory. Uh, you can doodle drawings without thinking, uh, which is where actually beautiful art comes from, right? But you cannot write pen to paper without triggering your rational mind. Hmm. And so that's why we write multiple times a day. I make a point of writing in the morning, halfway through the day, and at night. They each have different purposes, different goals. Um, but I write every day. And um, something else I tell people is when you start journaling, they say, okay, how do I start? What do I do? Literally just grab a pen, piece of paper. You don't have to have like a nice book with stickers and dear diary written on it. Just start writing. Just start regurgitating what's in your brain because it's really loud in there and it's really messy. Let's empty the room first. It's hard to think when, you know, when your desk is cluttered, you don't want to work in the same way when your mind is cluttered, you don't want to think. Uh, and when you, when people start writing, oftentimes they get scared. I'll look at my own writing because uh, I've kept my journals from the beginning, and I look at the first 500 pages, Randy, and sometimes I'm like, wow, geez, this was dark stuff, man. <laughs> like, you need to check yourself in or something. Oh, this yeah. Not pretty, right? And a lot of people go through this because we tend to very conveniently ignore all our negative thoughts, and we focus on that picture we want everyone to see on Instagram, or we focus on that, hey, barbecue on Saturday or vacation coming up in a week. Oh, yeah, those are so, much easier to manage. <laughs> exactly. Um, so journaling, super important. Meditation, super important. Uh, and, and as you clear your mind and you begin a conversation with yourself, um, and, and this is something that's very, very important. I push a lot of my books, is to start a relationship with yourself. And if I may quote um, Atticus from uh, um, uh, How to Kill a Mockingbird, which everybody should be reading right now. One of my all-time favorite um, books. <laughs> you know, he says, before you live with anyone else, you have to live with yourself. And that's where meditation journaling can really help uh, bring your, your rational thought together. Oh, man. Yeah, I can definitely relate to all of that. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I just broke up, open some of uh, my old writing. Uh, I've been creative writing ever since I was a teen. Uh, more structured journaling, like you had mentioned now. As you, Yes, it is absolute imperative. It's something that I do many different ways. And uh, I also uh, take inventory. Yeah, you mentioned checking in with yourself. That's exactly the way I do it too. Mm -hmm. What am I feeling? Why do I think I'm feeling it? What part of me do I need to protect in this moment? These types of things and just unpacking. Uh, but there are also pages that just say fuck in large letters all over because that is yeah. the only thing that my hand could write at that moment. And the very next page will be uh, okay, this, that, and the other. This is what bothers me. This is, you know, I had to, I had to clean up the mess. Uh, you had mentioned now that this was something that you've been doing since the beginning. Uh, I think that that's a perfect segue into how did you get into your stoic journey? Uh, what, 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 <laughs> how, how, did, how did that even come about? Uh, obviously, uh, uh, for me, when I came across it, I was searching for something. Yeah, is that something yeah. that you can relate to? Yeah, yes and no. I'll, I, I'm laughing because, you know, obviously it's a question I get asked a lot. And of sadly, I don't have some 
awesome, cool story that I was hiking a mountain one day and I looked out at the sunset and it was beautiful. No, it's actually kind of serendipitous and a letdown. But um, so I rewind back, uh, you know, decade or so. I was your typical North American capitalist wet dream. Uh, I had the grades in university. I, I got out, crushed it, got the job, six figure salary, got the house, family, car, I'm done, I'm winning, right? Yep. And I sat back and took inventory one day, uh, looking at all these things that society told me that would indicate that I have accomplished in life and won the game of life. And I, I, I admitted to myself, I was still hollow. Uh, you know, the next thing that I bought wasn't feeling that existential hole. Uh, the hedonic treadmill had kind of run its course. And so I started searching for something, exactly. Um, I started, I kind of recognized that I had been uneducated. Okay. I say uneducated because I recognize that what I've been taught went against my nature a lot, my core nature uh, as a human being. And so I went on this uh, self-education uh, uh, crusade, if you will. And I was going to a trip in, uh, in Cuba, I uh, hopped on Amazon to buy a bunch of books because that's what I liked doing was reading books on the beach. And literally, literally, I was just buying, I was doing a click buy now, buy now, <laughs> whatever the Amazon AI was recommending, right? I'm like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> and so one of the books I ended up reading was this book called Letters from a Stoic by Seneca. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this on, on my nice, you know, touristy resort down south. Uh, uh, and I'm reading these words written like, over 2000 years ago and i'm like dude these make so much sense like this feels like it was written now (laughs) what the hell there's something here you know and it resonated with me it resonated with me because i'm not someone that can just put faith in something um i'm not someone that can just uh I'm, i'm willing to admit when i'm wrong i'm willing to admit when i don't know something but i'm not willing to accept something unless i understand it i'm very agnostic right okay uh, and so this philosophy actually made sense and it gave me the answers I needed uh, that nothing else could. And I did look far and wide. I looked at religion, spirituality, philosophies, science, what have you. Uh, stoicism is kind of, if you were to put all the different belief systems of humanity, the way I like to describe stoicism is if you were to put all these different ethical, moral, spiritual belief systems, stoicism kind of sits right in the middle of the Venn diagram <laughs> that all of these uh, intersect. And I guess that's why it works for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really logical, a really logical place to uh, to be. When I, I I get it, I get that totally. Um, someone who started off very religious in my young life, uh, parts of my story then knocked me quite heavily off that path, uh, and I eventually identified as agnostic as well. Uh, same thing. I can't accept something that I just don't understand. And, mm-hmm. and so I, that, that sits really, really close to home for me. Um, one of the things that you had just mentioned that really also uh, is very important and something that I did not learn, obviously, until changing the way that I lived was the way I put it is I can't, I can't quench my spiritual thirst through material means. Uh, the things I have, the stuff I have, the, you know, uh, the, the, the tangible items, eventually they mean nothing. Oh, not eventually. They, they always mean nothing if my insides are dying and, you know, through my addictions, that's what I was doing is I was trying to 
digest ingest as much of the external as I can to fix what ultimately was a spiritual problem. And I say mm-hmm. spiritual, you know, much like the word philosophy and much like the word meditation, the word spirituality is a very big and scary word that people mm-hmm. always, you know, relate to religion. Uh, but it, it is something far greater than that. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's, I, I really relate to the idea of sitting back, looking at all my, for lack of a better term, shit and realizing that it's just not fulfilling the way it used to be. And, uh, yeah. And that's pretty special that you were able to sit back, take a look and decide to make a change moving forward. Not a lot of people do that. A lot of people spend their whole lives not even realizing that they're searching for something, let alone what they're searching for, you know, and Mm -hmm. call it the universe, putting that book in your hands or divine intervention, whatever divine means to you. Um, I, the path you were supposed to walk was presented to you when it was supposed to be presented to you. That's beautiful, yeah. man. That's a, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. <laughs> thank so, you, thank you. so even though, you know, it may not have the appeal of walking along and you know, being, <laughs> being up in the mountains and, and seeing an eagle fly just at the right time, it, it really is that, you know, so that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Just two points. I, I don't know how long we have here, but two points I can cover here that um, uh, interesting points that you touched upon. Um, you know, you were talking about the hedonic treadmill trying to fill our insides with external material goods. Yeah. Um, we can talk about that a little bit if you want. Yeah. Oh, please. Um, Time is infinite. And, we can never run out. Awesome. And <laughs> but but before we get into that, uh, we have to clarify spirituality. And uh, in my second book, I have a chapter that's literally called spirituality. It's a thing, and you should do it. So uh, let's break down spirituality for a little bit. Please. Um, uh, and, and Randy, indulge me here. We're going to do a mental exercise. So sure. in science, they have the scientific method where you do stuff, you measure it, and then you try to recreate it. Right. In philosophy, because we think of uh, broader concepts, uh, the laboratory is thought experiments. Right. So uh, here's a thought experiment. Uh, Theseus, sure. he's the mythical guy that uh, founded Athens. Okay, He was some uh, badass warrior fought the Titans with this awesome battleship he had, okay? Uh, beat the Titans, found Athens, died, of, died later on in life. And the citizens of Athens said, you know what, this guy was really rad. Let's keep his ship pristine for posterity to see so that the kids can visit. It'll be like a museum. Awesome. So the ship is sitting there in the harbor, but after 20 years or so, someone notices a uh, plank. It's gone rotten. And they say, okay, let's replace it. We want to keep the ship pristine. So they remove this one plank, replace it with another plank, a new one. Same shape, same size, uh, same purpose. Is this still the ship of Theseus now? Mm -hmm. That's actually a a very good question. I would say that it is. And the reason that I would say that it is, is because it represents something far greater than the ship itself now. Uh, its purpose is still there. It still is serving to, uh, to not only teach the masses, but allow the kids to come and admire the great story. The story is still being told and the essence of the ship is still whole. All right, perfect. So, uh, so if we go down the same uh, exercise and let's say a bunch of planks get replaced, a bunch of sails get replaced after a century, the entire ship has been replaced. Piece by piece, rope by rope, plank by plank. But each piece in the exact same way the ship looks in the exact same way, serving the exact same purpose. Is it still the ship of Theseus? Hmm. I think that's an even better question. So my head wants to tell me, yes, still. But 
the logical side of my brain said no, because if everything's been replaced, it's no longer the original shape. So the essence right. of the ship of Theseus is there. The physical form, I would say, is different. Right. Very good. Okay. And now I'm really going to break your brain. Uh-oh. So this whole time, <laughs> somebody's been collecting all these pieces, all these rotten pieces, one by one. Okay. Um, and they recreated the original ship of Theseus with all the original pieces on land because it can't float anymore. Mm-hmm. So now there's a complete floating working replica of the ship in the harbor and then all the original pieces that have been put back together on land. So now the question is, do you have one ship of Theseus? If so, which one is it? Do you have two ships of Theseus or do you have none? Yeah, I think my brain is now broken. So now I'm trying to think of this. I'm trying to, of course, because I'm an addict, so I like to make everything about me. Um, I have taken many physical forms over the course of my life. And I would say that both can exist at the same time. Yes. All right. So now let's make this about you even more. Let's turn the, let's turn the exercise directly towards you. And this, okay. is, um, this is what turned me... Uh, from an atheist to uh, what I am today. And this is precisely the exact exercise that I use as an example as to why atheism is not a thing, why Mm -hmm. we're not just physical beings. Uh, So let's continue. Uh, So Randy, when you looked in the mirror this morning, when you were getting ready, you looked in the mirror, you saw yourself and you identified yourself as Randy, right? Correct. So let's say you have a tragic accident, God forbid, touch wood, mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow, and you lost um, your legs. Okay, so you pull yep. up with your wheelchair at the hospital, you look in the mirror, you see yourself. Who do you identify in the mirror? Of course, Still as Randy. Randy. Yep. Right. Uh, God forbid, another accident. Now you've lost your arms too. Now you're just a nub with a, with a beautiful <laughs> face. Oh, thank you. You look in the mirror, <laughs> you look in the mirror, and you still identify Randy. Yep. Right? Uh, and then let's say you're really clumsy with some uh, acid and then now you've gone blind. So mm. you, you can't even see yourself in the mirror. All you, can, all you have now is your mental projection of yourself. In your mind's eye, when you think of yourself, how do you identify yourself? I still identify as Randy. Definitely. And that, that is proof positive that we have something more beyond the physical. Now, that's something more. Is it consciousness? Spirit? soul, um, whatever you want to call it, call it tomatoes, whatever you want to call it, it is there and it exists. And as a stoic, I don't care what it is, where it came from. Uh, I have my own beliefs on where it came from, but it doesn't matter. Um, I don't believe that it ascends to an afterlife, but it doesn't matter. Because all I need to know as a stoic is that it exists. And if it exists, it needs attention as well, the same way my physical body does. Hmm. So if that little extra bit is called tomatoes, let's call tending to the tomato, tomatoism. Or if (laughs) you want to call it a spirit, call it spirituality. So spirituality is a word uh, to define caring for that other bit Hmm. that is not the physical bit. Okay, we, uh, these vessels we're in, these bodies perceive physical fields. Okay. Uh, some fish can uh, uh, perceive uh, um, uh, electrical fields. Uh, some birds can perceive magnetic fields, right, with the migrations. Uh, us human beings were blessed with this capacity to see physical fields. But we know for a fact that there's 11 dimensions out there, yet we can only see three. Um, we, uh, and, and the point being here is 
we can't get lost in just what we see and perceive with the animal brain. We also have to be open to what the consciousness sees, which is that other side. So to go back to your hedonic treadmill of trying to fill our, our internal existential hole with external uh, uh, niceties, right. uh, you know, we can argue about yeah, with every high comes a low, you know, uh, you know, you go on vacation, that's awesome. But when you come back, it's kind of a bummer. You got to move along now, you know, um, trying to fill your uh, spiritual uh, needs with material goods. The Tibetans have a beautiful expression. I use this all the time. They say it's like trying to quench your thirst with salt water. Yeah. It feels good in the moment. But yep. man, does it get you afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I definitely am a walking testament to that. To that note. <laughs> And so spirituality uh, is very important. We don't need to get caught up on what a spirit is, where it comes from, where it's going, what it is. We just need to acknowledge. And again, we're talking about that center point of the Venn diagram of the human belief system. We know there's something more. This is undeniable because we identify something more. As we grow old and start looking more decrepit, we're still the same person in our mind's eye. That's the bit that we have to tend to much like we have our physical needs of eating, drinking, and sleeping, we have spiritual necessities that we have to tend to. And that's what my, the second half of my first book is all about, is helping the reader identify their uh, own necessities because everyone's got a unique one. There's no one right. answer for everyone. Uh, and there you go. I've digressed. Back to you. No. Oh, no, no. That was, that was precisely what I think I need to hear and others can take great benefit from as well. Uh, I know that for sure I'm going to start using the word tomatoism though. Uh, I think, <laughs> uh, but that, but that's true. And, and it's taken me so long to not only understand that I have to tend to that part uh, more so than the physical, but to even identify what those for, we're just going to stick to the word spiritual, what those spiritual needs are. Uh, yeah. I mean, that took a lot of searching too, to find out what truly does fill up my insides. You know, yeah, uh, away yeah. from the, you know, anything that makes me feel good from the neck up or the, or, and the waist down, <laughs> other than those things, there yeah. is more. And I didn't know what that was for a long time. And it turns out that I had it all along. I just had worked my body and my brain into a path that has led me astray from seeing the true value of that, uh, which actually now that I'm bringing that up takes me to something that I really, I, I, I believe but what I've read in Stoicism uh, seems a little intense. And it's all, I, I do subscribe to this idea. But that uh, more so than just everything that happens to me happened for a reason, but to love everything that has happened to me, both good and bad, uh, mm. that's, that was a, a difficult pill to swallow, especially going back, you know, telling my story, you know, living through some of the traumas that I've lived through, uh, and, and to get to a point where, I understand that, okay, it took that to create what is me now, but mm -hmm. the idea that I actually love the fact that I went through those things because it created what I needed to become who I am now. I wouldn't mm -hmm. have, me in this moment wouldn't exist without those things. And so to find a love for that uh, is really interesting and and you know, quite difficult to swallow sometimes, but, <laughs> but, uh, I've read that, you know, we can touch on this a little more deeply, but I, I, I heard a story, uh, please excuse me. I don't know who, what stoic philosopher did this, but 
uh, someone who they conditioned themselves to, for lack of better terminology, embrace the suck, right? Put them in inopportune positions. Uh, I believe the example that I heard was go out into, you know, the town wearing something that would ultimately get them a very negative reaction from people uh, to condition themselves to like negative things that happen to them in order to build them up stronger. Uh, do, are you familiar with that, with that story? With that? Uh... Uh, it's, it's kind of a mishmash of a few stories, but okay. yeah, I, I, I hear where you're going, going with that. Um, so, I mean, there's two topics here we can cover. Um, uh, there's the uh, embracing everything that happens and then the trying to toughen yourself up right. um, by, by, you know, whatever. so embracing everything that happens um, Stoics, uh, as a Stoic, I'm uh, a dualist. What does this mean? Uh, another, so philosophy, I love philosophy. It's full <laughs> of these uh, questions of, is it this or is it this? And they never have a right answer. Right. Uh, but again, it's the discussion that really helps one come to co- uh, some, some interesting conclusions. Um, Stoicism often always falls between the two. It never says it's only this or it's only this. Um, and uh, this is this is one such case. So, um, the determinism versus free will. Do we live in a deterministic world where everything is a series of cause and consequences, or do we have free will? Well, it's hard to argue against free will because I mean, shoot, we can choose to do whatever I want. I can okay. literally choose what I want to say. Right. That's the, that's the easy one. So how does one argue for determinism? Because it's hard to argue for determinism when you're like, no, it can't be a deterministic world. I have free choice. I have free will. Uh, so the example I like to use is a ball. Uh, we, all, you know, we all went to uh, high school and we learned how the laws of physics works. And when you grab a ball and you drop it, it accelerates at 9.81 meters second squared right. i think don't quote me on this stuff it's been a really long time <laughs> and um so if you have the formula and you have the variables of the weight of the ball the uh, elasticity of the surfaces that that touch you can uh, very accurately calculate exactly how far up it's going to bounce we can do this because we send now satellites and stuff to other cosmic bodies right we can calculate this so you, you can actually do this on paper just for the first bounce. It's, very, it's, it's one for, it's fun formula. But let's say it gets a little bit more complicated because there's wind and now you want to calculate how many times it'll bounce and how each consecutive bounce will take. Uh, you, you, you know, there might be an inclination somewhere, uh, an incline, excuse me. There might be rocks along the way, pebbles. Um, you, the variables are there, but you wouldn't be able to calculate this. Uh, however, using a computer simulation, we can, which is what we use for the more complex launches that we do in space. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, as long as we have all the necessary variables, we can calculate how a physical sequence of events will end up. And is that not what's happening since the Big Bang, after all? Right? Yeah. Uh, the problem is the amount of variables that's happened in the cosmos over the past 13.8 billion years, it's immense. And the only machine that we know of that can actually uh, absorb and calculate all these variables at once is the universe itself. And it's only capable of calculating the outcome in the present moment. Hmm. So uh, a, a machine to be able to calculate a future outcome would necessarily have to be bigger than the universe. In other words, it's impossible. Right. 
Um, now we go back to the human being because we are, as far as we know, the most complex um, uh, physical structure in the universe. Okay. Uh, and our thoughts, you know, you and I make a decision to do whatever based on what? What do you make a decision on? When you run into someone, you decide to say hello or put your you know, eyes down, right. pretend yeah. you're reading something. You make a decision based on what? Your mood, uh, your last interaction with this person. Um, whether you're in a rush or not, um, whatever, whatever, you might be, you know, uh, tired or hungover or whatever. We make all these decisions based on variables of our past history. Is that not data after all? So theoretically, if one could put all of these variables that's in your brain, that is your memories and knowledge into a computer simulator, Mm -hmm. theoretically, you could determine what quote unquote free, I have to say quote unquote, because this is a podcast and people can't seem to do air quotes. <laughs> uh, you can quote unquote, theoretically, uh, determine what your free will is going to be. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so we are both um, spectators of this universal cosmic uh, script, right? What's going to unfold next? What is the result of the next thing? Uh, yet we're also the actors. <laughs> so we're both actors and spectators in this universal script. It's, it, it's a pretty interesting uh, topic. A simple exercise, if I can just tr- try to simplify it a little oh, bit, yeah, is, a, is a cow in a herd. So a cow literally makes the choice of putting one hoof in front of the other and says, I'm going to go this way with the herd because, right. you know, it's comfortable. I go with the herd. I'm choosing to put one hoof in front of the other. Free will, right? Right. Well, a cow is a herd animal. And through generations, okay, when we, when, when we first domesticated the cow, it was a wild whatever. And, you know, there was a family of it. And then the baby stuck around, maybe two of them escaped. And then they said, well, the hell with those guys. We're going to stick with these ones that like to stay near the food source. And then those guys had babies. And then maybe one of those babies escaped, et cetera, et cetera. You fast forward to, the, to, to now and herd animals don't know any better. They just follow each other. You have one in a thousand that'll run away and well, good ribbons, the wolves will get you. Right. Uh, you know, the, 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 the herder will stick with the, the herd. Animal. So all this to say, when the cow chooses, quote unquote, to follow the herd, is he really making a choice? Was that <laughs> his choice to begin with? So it, it gets interesting. Um, but so, so as Stoics, we're dualists, we believe. Uh, yes, it's a deterministic world. It's absolutely a deterministic world. It's hard to argue against the logic of, I mean, it's, it's scientific fact. We know this. But it's hard to argue against free will as well because I can clearly uh, uh, make my own choices. So we accept that we have a perceived free will. Mm-hmm. And we have this perceived free will, which means we have choices to make, which means well, I need to make good effing choices. So let me get back to what I can control. My choices right here, right now. Because I can't control the variables from the past. I don't know how they're going to end up in the future. But my choices, whether they're real or an illusion, I can make them now. Let me make some good ones. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, and the whole time you were thinking, it's, or sorry, where, that you were speaking, I couldn't help but correlate to the, uh, the herd mentality, even as a human being. Um, in my circle of, of people, we often refer to staying in the middle of the herd. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is a choice that we make putting one foot in front of the other. Um, but, you know, as human beings, I feel, especially with uh, the term mob mentality, that we are also, you know, we're pack animals, like you said. Yep. Uh, 
so I think that putting the emphasis on the perceived, the perception of free will, I think that was a game changer for me. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I'm going to have a lot to think about here. My journal entries tonight are going to be amazing. <laughs> All right. So now, as, as a new believer in this philosophy, um, where, would, where would I start? What would be your recommendation if someone was to really want to put forth the effort into making this a practice? Uh, where, where would you start? You, you, you mentioned uh, some reading that you happen to pick up. Uh, do you mm -hmm. recommend that reading as well? Do you recommend jumping right into little daily practices? Uh, if I'm a brand new person off the street who's really interested in stoicism, where would you direct me? All right. Uh, where do you start if you want to get into stoicism? Uh, buy my books. That's Anderson Silver. <laughs> shameless plug. Oh, no, it's um, not shameless at all. <laughs> uh, look, um, something else that speaks to me about stoicism. I don't like wasting time. Okay. I never did. Um, I was always um, go, go, go type of guy. Still am. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, I have here two books. Your, your listeners can't see this, but we'll describe it to them. Yes. I have two books here. It's the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, okay, and the Anchoridian by Epictetus. Uh, I would say easily two-thirds of all Stoic quotes you've ever seen come from these books, right? And the reason I'm showing them to you is because I want to show them to you from the side now. You see how thin they are? Yeah, that's quick reading. The entire <laughs> Stoic school of thought boiled down to under 200 pages, okay? Wow. Uh, okay, Seneca's work is a little bit more in-depth, but... The, the point I'm trying to drive home here is Stoicism is a practical philosophy, meaning you don't do Stoicism by quoting uh, some guy with a beard, you know, from ancient Greece or Rome. Uh, you, if, if I can say you do Stoicism uh, by actually applying it in real life. So uh, my entire brand of Stoicism for a Better Life, my weekly articles, my group chats and my podcast series. It's all short. My articles are like three paragraphs. So my podcast episodes are five to 10 minutes long. It's one simple exercise you can do to apply to your daily life uh, to be more quote unquote stoic. Now I'm not sharing this to plug it. I'm, I'm trying to explain that stoicism is uh, not like a state of mind or, uh, um, you know, uh, remembering quotes or, uh, you know, philosophy is the pursuit of wisdom. Stoicism is a philosophy, but it's more the practice of a virtuous life. It's not about, uh, and, and the pursuit of knowledge is part of it, of course. Uh, example, I read a lot of history because, uh, you know, people, I always get the same comment when people see my, my shelves of history books, they're like, well, it's all in the past or it's written by the victors. It's never the right sense. Yeah, true. But I like to learn as much as I can about the past because it helps me better understand people today and it helps me forgive them today because i see how um, these things were done in the past i see what their thinking was uh just an example of why the pursuit of knowledge is still important but um I'm, let me get back to on topic here how do you start with stoicism uh with small practical exercises uh, or actionable items in your daily life and even as an advanced uh, stoic uh, I still have, um, here, let me pull it off for you. I have in my journal, I keep a little laminated and, and I'll describe it for your uh, listeners, a little laminated list of bullet point items that I want to accomplish on a daily basis. 
uh, why daily basis? Because we Stoics are very focused on death and we accept that it can happen at any time. And so our necessities must be daily. Right? Mm. It must be something I can accomplish within the day because I want to go to bed every night knowing that if I don't wake up tomorrow, hey, I feel awesome about myself and my life. So I have a list of daily tasks I want to accomplish, maybe about 15 of them. And that's literally how I practice the philosophy. Right. And these will all stem off from your spiritual necessities because Stoicism will not tell you what to do with your life. The why is entirely up to you. And once you identify your why, Stoicism will give you a framework on how to best do that. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the idea of creating a, a checklist of things to do, it's so, so simple. I'm, I'm, I'm like you had mentioned as well. I'm very big on keeping things simple. Don't uh, overcomplicate things. And um, I think that it's a pretty good practice to go to bed each night knowing that you left it all on the table. And I don't mean doing everything, you know, extreme, making sure you, you <laughs> jumped off a building and, and went skydiving or anything like that, but to accomplish everything to live a virtuous life. Like you said, go to bed each night knowing that you lived that day as a good person. Yeah. You know? And I think that's an awesome message that you've just given to me and an awesome message that you share with others. I think putting this out there and it's not a new concept and, and it's, just an introduction. You're introducing people to this way of thinking, which is a call to action. And if we can all just do a little more <laughs> to answer those calls to action, I think not only would we personally be in a good spot, uh, but the world might be in a little bit better of a spot as well. Anderson, that was fantastic. Um, I feel like this is just a little taste of, of everything that we could. <laughs> I'm sure we can talk for hours on this subject. So Going back to those plugs, where can we get more of Anderson Silver? Uh, so my books, um, Your User's Manual and Your Duality Within, you can find them on Amazon, uh, Google, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, uh, Audible. Um, you can uh, find, so those are the books. On my web, on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Anderson Silver. Um, I, that's where I keep all my articles and podcasts. Now, Patreon is a crowdsource kind of page for, for people that don't know to support independent authors like myself. Um, and I have all my stuff there because I do have a lot of people that support what I do. Um, however, all my content is free. Go mm. use it, be, help better yourself. You know, in, in my mentoring work, uh, one thing I've learned is um, or rather one thing I focus on is not to give answers because there are no answers. Uh, rather, my pursuit is to provoke the right questions in my listeners and readers and followers. And so, um, you know, go check out my stuff, patreon.com slash Anderson Silver. Go check out the books. Uh, if you like them, leave a review. Um, there's a third book coming out in a few months. Uh, podcasts uh, season two is going to come out after I finish. I'm, I'm literally like, oh, right here. I'm working on the manuscript <laughs> right now. As soon as that's done, I'm going to finish up season two. Um, and if you like what you read, get into more of the um, uh, ancient stuff. You know, it's not a lot of reading. They're all short to the point. Uh, you'll be surprised how relatable this all is. Awesome. Awesome. Again, thank you so much, Anderson, for your time. Uh, I know I've learned a whole hell of a lot and I'm sure that everybody listening uh, has also learned a whole hell of a lot. And uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for your time. This is, this has been really fun for me. This was fun. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, please. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> All right, Anderson. Thank you so much. All right. Ciao.
All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode. If you liked what Anderson had to say as much as I did, go grab his books. You can find them on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, Google Play, Kobo. It's the Stoicism for a Better Life series with the first book, Your User's Manual, and the second book, Your Duality Within. Go check him out. Go listen to his podcast, uh, Stoicism for a Better Life. And go check out his Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash Anderson Silver. And if you like what I'm doing, don't forget to share the show, subscribe to the show, uh, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps so much. Uh, it'll help me be able to bring in more guests, much like Anderson, and we can really take this thing to the next level and have a whole lot of fun trying to unfuck our brains up, if you know what I'm saying. So I hope you took something away from the conversation today that you can apply to your life immediately. Because if you can't find the stoic within you, what the fuck are you waiting for? Yeah.